Fresh back from the Capitol Wrestling Center, we've got the entire TakeOver weekend to talk about, including, of course, TakeOver in your house. The media call, everything. Plus, Drake Maverick is going to help break down the Conjuring movie universe. It's going to be an interesting one. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey, happy Monday, everybody. You know, last week I was taping on Sunday, and I finished taping the podcast Sunday afternoon. I was watching GCW Zombie Walk live on Fight. And by the way, that's not an ad. If you if you don't want any ads whatsoever, of course, patreon.com slash wrestling is the place to be. Become a Not Sam show. You'll get the podcast first. You'll get it ad-free. You'll get bonus shows. But I was watching GCW Zombie Walk. I saw the Zack Ryder angle in the ring with Nick Gage, and I just loved it because there were so many people talking about it. None of them were watching the pay-per-view. None of them had been tweeting as the pay-per-view was going on. None of them were watching live. And within an instant, that video clip goes on the internet and everybody starts talking about it. I mean, I was literally in Stanford doing things and people there were like, oh, I saw the, the angle on the internet. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what this is for. That's exactly what's going on. That's exactly why I keep saying now that COVID is winding down and people are getting vaccinated and the masks are coming off and people are going out again and live events are coming back, just like WWE is going to be back full tilt, just like AEW is going back on tour, independent wrestling is going to come back huge within the next couple of months. And that has a lot to do with the generation that has been bubbling under the surface. A lot of people were worried with all the contracts, you know, Ring of Honor and Impact and AEW and NXT all signing up all these big names to contracts. Who's going to be left to, to, to make the indies hot? And the answer is a whole lot of people. And it's happening and it's happening right before our eyes. I loved what I saw uh, with uh, Zack Ryder coming in, Matt Cardona. Uh, in the Druid outfit, doing the John Moxley shoulder wiggle, dropping Nick Gage with the DDT. Then on Friday, I guess the Major Brothers were doing their live podcast in Baltimore. Nick Gage shows up at the podcast. This is the outside of the box thinking that we're going to see as, as more and more talent starts popping up on the independents. It's just a great time to be doing this stuff because people have really figured out how to utilize the internet to its fullest power right now. And I think we're just going to see it utilized more, and I think we're going to see it get more and more powerful. What I don't like, because I don't need to be involved in all this, is Zack Ryder posting pictures from me on the NXT TakeOver In Your House pre-show and claiming that it's Nick Gage in a uh, prerogative way. Prerogative? Is that negative? It's in a negative way, in an insulting way, as if now that I'm bald and still bearded that he's confusing me with Nick Gage. Nick Gage looks much tougher than me. That's because he is much tougher than me. But I don't want to be involved in this whole thing because I've watched this stuff. Sometimes it's a wrestling match. Sometimes it's not. I never know. I've seen the David Arquette match. Looks like it started as a wrestling match and it is something very different. I'm not ready to get involved in Deathmatch World. 
I'm ready to enjoy it. I'm ready to watch it. I'm ready to observe it. I'm not ready to be involved in, in, in these altercations. So please, please keep my face out of it. I was extremely excited over the weekend to get to be a part of NXT TakeOver once again. By the way, nobody in the history of NXT has appeared on more NXT TakeOver pre-shows than yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. When Triple H said on his media call, what would an NXT TakeOver pre-show be without Sam Roberts? After that, he said there to irritate everybody, but the first part of what he said is what counts, and it's right. I was on there with uh, Arash Markazi, who's been on NXT TV lately. He was on the the pre-show for Stand and Deliver as well. He was on via Zoom with Jimmy Smith and myself. Um, But he was there in person for the first time uh, this weekend. And Justin Borasso from Sports Illustrated, who has broken many, many stories, who, you know, he's been the wrestling guy at Sports Illustrated for a long time now, and and he's great. Uh, It was fun, man. It was fun. It was different. You know, working with people who don't really do television like that and who haven't really done live pre-shows before it was really crazy for me because it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that I was the fish out of water that I was showing up on these pre-shows having no clue what I was doing having never done it before and scared out of my mind and look I'm still so nervous I want to commit suicide every single time I do the pre-show but at least I'm familiar with it now at least I know what to expect it was uh, it was a cool experience to get to kind of uh, help introduce some new people uh, to, to what we do on those pre-shows and to mix the pre-show up a little bit and rely more on the analysis from journalists like uh, Aresh and, uh, and, and Justin um, as opposed to what has traditionally been done on the pre-shows. I like that it's getting mixed up, and I thought those guys, I mean, especially given the fact that this is not really what they do, did an excellent job. I will say, before I get into the whole thing, and I was very proud of myself, I loved my own little uh, quips that I made about uh, the the stocks versus stonks, dollars versus doge. I felt like a, like a Howard Cosell of 2021 in those moments. It was fun. It's so fun doing those shows. And just getting to stand there, this time we weren't up so high, so it wasn't as scary. It's real scary being up real high. And the house was behind us just looking around. I'll tell you right now, what I really loved was the fact that more, way more people were in the Capitol Wrestling Center than ever before. Like, there were hundreds of people in that building, I think. That's what they wanted anyway, I think. I don't know. And hearing the energy again, listening to people boo me. When I was able to figure out a way to shout out Virgil and there was a Virgil chant going, it was just for a second, but I heard the Virgil chant and I was like, yes, yes. You knew you missed it, but you didn't know how much you missed it. This is what wrestling is all about, the interaction that goes on right there. And I went out onto the floor of the Capitol Wrestling Center to watch the entire main event of TakeOver. And I'll get into that when we get there. Um... But I did also, you know, we're talking about the media call. And I wanted to talk about the controversy around the media call. You know, Triple H said that uh, it's this WWE and NXT has the best women's wrestlers in the world. 
the best women who are wrestling in the world are in WWE. Um, and then he said, you either work here or you want to work here or something to that effect. I mean, look, I think on some level, people still want to work for WWE. I, I, you know, I, 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 the appeal of working in WWE, I don't think is lost on anyone. So that's, I don't think that that's nearly the outrageous statement that people were making claim for it to be. But I also think that this is what Triple H should be saying. This is what all promoters should be saying. Watch our show because we got the best people on it. Tony Khan should be saying that the best women's wrestlers are on AEW. He'd be wrong. There are some very good ones. Britt Baker's amazing. Thunder Rosa's amazing. Serena Deeb is amazing. But when I look at whole rosters, I'm, it's not hyperbole. It's not corporate lines when I say that in terms of full women's rosters, NXT has the best. NXT is the only roster that so far has been able to pull off not only having a singles championship, but a tag team championship where both are still taken seriously. Uh, women's tag team championship, it's, it's a new championship. I get that. We'll see. Also, what have I been saying for so long? All I want is a women's grudge match on a pay-per-view. More women's grudge matches. Doesn't have to always be for a title. And we got that at TakeOver with Zia Lee and Mercedes Martinez. I love that stuff. I, I, I don't think it's controversial at all that Triple H said that NXT has the best women's roster on the planet. Um, I personally think they do. As much as I love a lot of the women wrestling in other spots, obviously I just had Ali Cat on Ali Catch on last week, but I also th I think Brett Lauderdale at GCW should be out there saying that GCW has the best women's wrestlers and men's wrestlers and everything. People to take pride in your brand is what we should be doing. There should be battling going on. We shouldn't all be getting along all the time. There should be competition. It's good and it's healthy. And there should be people that are going like, well, everything this company does is great and everything that company does is bad. I love that. You don't think that was going on in the Attitude Era? You don't think that when Nitro and... I know it was going on because it was going on, like I would have conversations about it with my friends. We didn't have Twitter, so it wasn't, I guess, so in our face all the time. But you'd get to school, and your buddy who watches WCW would talk about how much everything on Raw sucks. There were literally people that were WCW stands in the NWO era that were saying Stone Cold and The Rock sucked. And there were WWE stands that were saying the NWO is a bunch of washed-up WWE ripoffs. None of those people are going to say either of those things now because they've been proven to be incorrect. But at the time... You felt this team loyalty, you know? And I, I, I don't think that, I think that not only is there nothing wrong with that, I mean, when it comes to sports, I don't think that the similarities between wrestling and sports are as great as other people think they are. But when it comes to sports, you appreciate the game of baseball. You can appreciate and respect people's talents. But you like your team because they're, and you think that they're better than another team. That team sucks. I was literally, when I was growing up, you went to Yankee Stadium and it was full of people selling bootleg Boston Sucks t-shirts, no matter who the Yankees were playing. I love that. I love that. Do they actually suck? No. Professional baseball players. 
They're the top of the top. But you're a fan. It's okay to say they suck. Marvel and DC, that's what I think wrestling is more like. There are still to this day plenty of people that are Marvel stands. DC Comics suck. Superman is a turd. Batman doesn't know what he's doing. Batman, the greatest billionaire superhero, give me Iron Man any day of the week. There's plenty of people saying that. And then there's other people being like, look at these Marvel jamokes. Doctor Strange, Superman, and The Flash could destroy all of them. So I, I, I this idea of, of having a team, I think is great. There's no reason we should expect everybody to just celebrate the entire industry all the time. We can celebrate the fact that wrestling is awesome, but we can also say ours is the best. And as fans, we can go, my favorite is the best. Your favorite sucks. That's the beauty of being a fan of anything, really. And I was a fan of TakeOver this weekend. I thought it was an excellent show. Uh, I, I thought it, it it's maintaining that steady wave of, of TakeOvers. You know, you felt it, I feel like it's stand and deliver, the last one, where it felt like, okay, we're getting back to real takeover. We're getting back to takeover being special. And I felt it strongly uh, uh, on this show. You know, I thought that opening up, uh, and, I, and I talked about it a little bit on the pre-show, and that's true how I felt about it, that the winner-take-all six-man, while I would have loved Legato to take it as a fan, because I love I mean, I love Legado del Fantasma, and and yeah, Escobar is my favorite. He's my favorite guy in NXT. He's my favorite wrestler. He's the best. But I think uh, uh, watching that, you go, there's this concern, you know, when you got guys like uh, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano and Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole and guys that have been in NXT for a while, you're going, is NXT evolving as quickly as it used to? Is NXT going to continue to have the turnaround that they have become known to have? And the answer is yes. Because when you look at that opening match, that's the tag championship and the North American championship. And everyone in that match has only become a major star in NXT in the last year or so. Bronson Reed had just broke through. You know, Bronson Reed was one of those guys where, oh, he's going to be on TakeOver? Oh, that's going to be an interesting experiment. Oh, we'll put him in a multi-man match. Oh, we'll do this. He finally got his hands on the North American Championship. And I feel like they, they, I feel like NXT has finally turned him in to what they were going for. You know, he's just at that introductory level. And MSK the same way, man. MSK showed up and it was like, I was saying it. Who are these guys? Not like I've never heard of them. Obviously, I know they came from Impact. But like as characters, what is MSK? And over the months, not years, months, that they've been in NXT, I've been like, okay, I get it. I'm a fan. And they've injected life into the tag division. They've made it something fresh. They've made it something different. And, you know, the storytelling that Legato has done and what they did for the Cruiserweight Championship, I think can't be overstated. So seeing both titles defended in a match with six people who are new and fresh and, 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 and just have egads of potential in front of them, I thought it was a real good sign for NXT. Same thing with Mercedes Martinez and Zia Lee. I just thought that that, again, all this stuff is just uh, uh, symbolic of everything that NXT is going to be doing as the brand moves forward. I thought it was a very good sign. Um, for me, in terms of great matches, 
the women's championship match was really good. Ember Moon had an amazing showing. And, you know, Raquel Gonzalez being Raquel Gonzalez, I think is great. You know, I think now is the time that they've got to get in front of bigger crowds. Because we have to hear if the audience is reacting to Raquel Gonzalez the way she's being portrayed on TV. No brand has put forward more new stars than NXT has. I mean, even during the pre-show, and I know they were doing it during the main show too, but I heard it during the pre-show when one of the guys, I think it was Barrasso or Arash, I don't remember which one, picked uh, Bronson Reed and MSK, who were the good guys, to win. It was booze. People were chanting, legado, legado. Like, I mean, they're going to figure out real quickly, real quickly, when they get back into arenas to do takeover, they are going to figure out that Santos Escobar is a main event babyface today. Santos Escobar, think about the match he had with Karrion Cross Today, not in a year, not in a month. Today, Santos Escobar is a main event good guy. And he doesn't have to leave Legato behind. The Legato act can be a good guy act and should be a good guy act. I don't think that he should leave Legato behind at all. But I, I absolutely, Santos Escobar is a main event good guy. He, 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 he is. And I think you're going to see that once you're back in front of crowds. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see how crowds react to Raquel. Are they behind Raquel? I think they will be. But they weren't there for her ascension. That's the thing about the stars in NXT. Generally speaking, fans feel like they were a part of it. Johnny Gargano's rise, Adam Cole's rise. All this stuff, fans feel like they were a part of it. Also, important to note, a lot of the stars in NXT, fans feel like they were a part of it because they were a part of it also outside of NXT. Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano. All, Tommaso Ciampa. All superstars that fans were a part of their rise outside of NXT, getting them to NXT, Samoa Joe, all of them. So it's like Raquel Gonzalez is one of these champions that was not was created within NXT. And it's not to say that doesn't work, because it has worked. And, it, and I think it will work. But I'm interested to see where fans are at with her right now. Um, I think that I think that you've got huge stars right now. You know, I, I, I think if you would put L.A. Knight and Cameron Grimes, if you'd put that ladder match in an arena in front of people, you'd have another two people that are like, okay, they're both main event territory, especially Cameron Grimes. But the stories that were told, the way L.A. Knight was able to just be plucked right in to that Cameron Grimes story, which was one of the most beloved stories going on in NXT. And L.A. Knight goes right in. It made total sense that he won that million-dollar championship. He need, he should, he, that's should be his thing. If Cameron Grimes has the million-dollar championship, first of all, Cameron Grimes is a good guy, too. Not only is Cameron Grimes a good guy, but he's about to become the next Johnny Gargano. He's about to become way less character and way more like, oh, my God, this guy is going to be the guy. But L.A. Knight having the million-dollar championship is perfect. Stocks versus stonks. The million-dollar title should be held by stocks 100% of the time. But that ladder match, my God, the things they did to each other, incredible. It was like Cameron Grimes wanted to show the world that, yeah, he's like one of the best 
people in terms of character work in wrestling, but also wait till you see the matches that I can pull off, especially when you put a ladder in this thing. And LA Knight wanted to, LA Knight had to introduce the NXT audience to what he is in NXT to do. Because in my opinion, he hadn't done it before this takeover. In my opinion, he was still uh, resting on the laurels of Eli Drake. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. I saw him in Impact. I saw him in NWA. After TakeOver, you got your guy. LA Knight became LA Knight NXT Superstar Million Dollar Champion at TakeOver. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Fatal 5-weight. Super interesting to me. I thought match of the night. I was blown away by how good it was. Uh, I, I and, and the amount of stuff that involved all five guys as well. So many spots involving multiple people. I just thought excellent. Excellent by all parties involved. And, you know, I, I, I think uh, a couple of things. Number one, Johnny Gargano is probably more popular now than he ever has been. I was listening real closely to the audience because with that match, you have your five top guys in it. And some of them weren't top guys before the pandemic. And some of them have been top guys for a while. And I'm like, I want to hear, again, it's a small group, but it's the biggest group we've had in the Capitol Wrestling Center ever. Loved Johnny Gargano. Loved Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne is beloved. Pete Dunne could be NXT champion for the crowd that's watching. I don't know if, you know, I, you, I, I mean, I think Pete Dunne is great when he's just got a mic himself. I like that he doesn't say much, but if you need promos and you want Pete Dunne to continue to be the strong, silent type, maybe there's some way to get a manager behind him. You know, I don't know. I don't think he needs it. I, I just think, Pete Dunn's beloved. Pete Dunn is beloved and could could have won last night and it would have been good for business. Adam Cole, of course, is Adam Cole. I was surprised by the reaction to Kyle O'Reilly. It was not as strong as I thought it would be. And that's not Kyle's fault at all. Kyle O'Reilly has been knocking it out of the park every time. But in that building, the fans did not react the same way for Kyle O'Reilly that they did for Johnny Gargano and that they did for Pete Dunne. Adam Cole, I'm not even going to talk about. We all know Adam Cole could be a star on any brand anywhere in the world. Like, Adam Cole's the guy. Adam Cole is the face of NXT. Adam Cole is, is it. But 
I mean, people say they like, oh, there's a, you can tell Shawn Michaels is working with Adam Cole. Adam Cole is the Shawn Michaels of NXT. Like, Adam Cole is it. But I wonder with the Kyle O'Reilly thing, if that's just because they haven't had a chance, again, with the build. They weren't a part of the Kyle O'Reilly singles build. So does that mean there's going to be this moment of, yeah, we'll get there, but you have to let us be there for the build. I don't know. And I wonder with Karrion Cross. I'm a fan of Karrion Cross. I love what he's doing. The brutality, the stiffness, the 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 power. I mean, I, I, I think he's believable. I love his facial expressions. I love his suplexes. I love his submissions. I love the way he would like uh, put someone in a sleeper, but he was still selling his fingers like Pete Dunne had broken him. I think Karrion Cross is great. However, I'm going to tell you honestly what I heard in the Capitol Wrestling Center. And at the finish, when Karrion Cross jumped in and put the, sl- the chokehold on Kyle O'Reilly and put him to sleep, and fans realized, oh, this is the finish. Kyle O'Reilly almost had Adam Cole tapped out, and then Karrion Cross came and put Kyle to sleep. As soon as Karrion put that sleeper on Kyle O'Reilly, the fans in the building realized it was the finish, and they started booing. And it was an interesting boo. Because it didn't feel, in that moment, like it was they were booing the heel. It felt like NXT may have something similar to what the main roster had with Roman Reigns a couple of years ago. Which, by the way, could mean that they also have something that could evolve into what Roman Reigns is today. To be compared to Roman Reigns is not an insult. But NXT has never had a champion that the fans were not behind on a kind of meta level. They've had heel champions, but the fans were behind them as a character. And I, when I heard that reaction for the first time, I was like, and I've, you know, obviously I've read the online criticisms, but online criticisms are online criticisms. It is what it is. There's a couple about me every now and then. But when I heard the reaction, I thought, huh, huh. I wonder if this is going to rear its ugly head. I don't know. We won't know until they're back in an arena to tell you the truth. Hopefully that's soon. There's obviously there's Great American Bash coming July 6th, I want to say. That's a Tuesday, though. That's a television show. It's a special television show. Um, but, you know, there's rumors about there being a takeover SummerSlam weekend. Nobody knows for sure. The rumors are that it could be at the Capitol Wrestling Center. It could be somewhere else. I think August is a long way away. So we'll find out. I loved ending with uh, Regal and the story. I love my, I love me some stories. I hope it means what the, the, the rumors are true. I seen Sean Ross Sapp writing all about it. I hope it means that Samoa Joe is coming in to be on screen as some kind of character in NXT. I think that would, that would push everything forward quite a bit. And if so, I would definitely start politicking to get Samoa Joe on some pre-shows too. Because my God, would I love, although I kind of liked, you know, Bald Sam being on a takeover stage for the first time and having two guys next to him that were smaller. I look like a goddamn giant on that takeover pre-show stage. I look like a big, intimidating man. When I was standing next to Jimmy Smith, I didn't look short, but it was clear one guy meant business, one guy talks for a living. When I was standing next to Wade Barrett, forget about it. I look like Oliver Twist. I look like an orphan. 
Okay, I didn't have any place up there. But standing with two guys next to me on either side that were uh, shorter than me, I loved it. I'm not going to lie about that. I loved it. That's why at one point I grabbed Justin Barrasso's head because I was so excited about what, the fact that I could see the top of his head. It's a nice feeling. What can I tell you? It's a nice feeling. You know? It doesn't happen all that often for guys like me. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a good time. Now, today I want to do something special on this here podcast. Uh, on Friday, I do a show on YouTube called Sam Roberts Now, where it's like a topical show, but we also talk about pop culture. We talk about movies. And when a big franchise movie comes out that I love, I like to uh, get into the entire universe. And there's a lot of movie fans uh, in wrestling that, you know, a lot of times... They don't get to talk about it. I had a great conversation with Santos Escobar about the entire uh, Conjuring universe uh, on Sunday. After he had had a, a knockdown dra drag out, we sat back and talked about the Conjuring for a little bit. But that's exactly what I talked about. The new Conjuring movie came out uh, last week. So I went on YouTube and I talked about the Conjuring universe. Now you're saying, Sam, why are you giving us a Conjuring universe monologue on a wrestling podcast. Well, number one, I already gave you a half hour of takeover stuff. And number two, because it wasn't a monologue. I had a special guest on the show. Drake Maverick joined me, and I love the guy. He's an entertaining guy. We're not talking about wrestling. We're talking about the Conjuring universe, but it is Drake Maverick from NXT. It's a special episode. I hope you enjoy. Uh, let's go. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. On the big screen, ladies and gentlemen, NXT superstar, Drake Maverick. Drake, how are we doing, Thank man? You. Thank you for having me. I'm good. Thank you for choosing the only horror universe I have minimal clue about. So this is going to really <laughs> embarrass me after a wonderful, a wonderful intro. I've only seen the three Conjuring movies, which you just buried that. Oh, there's not just three Conjuring movies. Well, great. They're the only ones I've seen. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm agreeing, in agreement with you, there is eight in this universe. Yes, there is a, yeah. a, a, a... And don't worry about that. We'll get to the bottom of all that tonight, and, and hopefully you'll gain a greater appreciation for what's happening in these three movies uh, through our conversation, right? I mean, yeah. I get where you feel like, well, I don't need to see all these movies, but if you want to answer like sometimes with these cinematic universes they go like well this will answer every question but you go does every question need to be answered like do, do we not have enough information and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't but i thought still we should go over it now drake maverick my thought here because there's two ways of doing this right the the conjuring cinematic universe is a very complicated one because it's full of sequels and prequels and the timeline doesn't match up with anything. So some people like to break it down by timeline. But for me, I feel like we should break it down by release date. Because it's not like it's not like the writers of these movies knew that there were going to be eight movies to begin with and that they're writing backwards and stuff. Like we know that when these movies get written, they're like, oh, well, what if we did a prequel? And they're just thinking of it just then. So I thought that we would go through the movies in the order in which they were released in theaters. And then that, and then we end up, you know, doubling back and going like, oh, you had this question from earlier. Well, guess what? 
I thought that would be the way to do it. Does that make sense? I I agree with you 100%. And uh, I had to go back and watch the original Conjuring movie because I remember seeing it when it first came out, but I did need a refresher. I'm, I kind of, I, I don't know why I needed that refresher because I'm pretty good at remembering every film I've ever watched. And But it was like, I, I don't know if it was like in the 2010s, like horror movie, there was so much drop in so many horror movies. It was just like, they were all blending in together. Like you had Hereditary, The Conjuring, the Annabelle. And I was kind of like, uh, I'm not going to follow me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially, especially like Insidious came out right around the same time as The Conjuring. Right. Yeah, and exactly. also stars Patrick Wilson. And you're sitting there going like, but is he the same? No, no, no. Different characters. Just he looks exactly the same. And you're like, I don't. I think I saw the first of everything. Yeah. And then I just was like, yeah, I'm not, and like even Sinister. I watched Sinister yeah. as well. And I'm like, these are all the same. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want any more. I got I've it. Refused to watch, yeah, I've refused to watch Sinister too because I'm like, I really enjoyed that first one. So right. Like, I heard the, I heard the second one bad. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm not bothering. Just not skip it. And you're like, I understand. There's ghosts and they scare you when you're really not expecting to get scared. That's kind of, right. that's kind of the thing. But for me, I mean, yes. I feel like The Conjuring is like, as far as like the the 2010s go and like the influx of all those ghost movies like that is the sort of quintessential one i feel like that's the that's the godfather of all this i think that the the conjuring is an extremely influential movie in the genre yes i i what i appreciate about the conjuring and the the three that i've watched <laughs> is that when there's a jump scare yeah it's actually a scare it's not like Jump scare! Oh, it was a mouse. <laughs> like it, it, it's it's not it's not a false. It's it's always no. There's something to be completely petrified of here. It's right there in front of you. Or they will not have the music in check with it, and there's just something coming towards you, and you're like, wait, 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 and then it just gives it to you, and you're like, I did appreciate that because that is what was different about it. Because there was a period of in the 2010s of like, here's a jump scare, here's a jump scare, here's a jump scare. Here's a jump scare for absolutely everything and there was nothing and it's like come on yeah <laughs> yeah I, 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 it's human reaction to like loud noise huh yeah noise, uh. yeah that, that, that's gonna happen with anything you could do that in romance films if you wanted to but it just yeah it would be like a normal if, reaction if somebody was sitting there just like stabbing you with needles while you were watching the movie and they were like well you were right. reacting right and you're like well no it's the it's the needles it had nothing to do yes. like there's a, there's such a huge difference between startling and actually scaring, like if you get startled a bunch of times, you just took advantage of the fact that this is what we do as human beings. But if you get scared, like that's when you're sitting in your bed and it's two o'clock in the morning and you think that like an Annabelle doll has come to life or something like that. That's right. when I feel like it's been effective. Like there's nothing scarier than a slow head tilting doll. Yeah. There's just nothing scarier. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. All right. So let's get started. Okay. Let's go. Let's, so let's go. go. The Conjuring 1. This is where it all begins. It comes out in 2013. It takes place in 1971. This to me, and I, I'm glad that you went back and watched it because I went back and watched it too. And I'm going to get a lot wrong, I'm sure, because I tried to pack in eight movies into like three days and just write down as many things as I could. So, you know, things are going to get muddled. But... Still, we'll give you a pretty good analysis, I think. Um, I went back and uh, it wasn't like I didn't realize that the Warrens were really only half of this movie. Like, they, I, I think that 
within this movie, they realized how much people liked seeing the cinematic portrayal of the Warrens and like in Conjuring 2, they were more important. And in Conjuring 3, they were like the whole movie. But in Conjuring 1, it's pretty, it's a pretty basic movie. You, it's, it's a haunted house movie. You watch this family get haunted and eventually they bring in Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, by the way, if you Google Ed and Lorraine Warren, God bless them, but the cinematic versions are like, they weren't like foxy ghost hunters. You know what I mean? And I feel like, I feel like in The Conjuring 1, it's like, oh, we got some extremely attractive demonologists here. And it's like, no, I mean, in real life, they, they were just demonologists. You know, yeah, in in real life, they look like exactly you'd picture a demonologist. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, we do though. I, I feel like this is they try to keep this a little bit more somewhat in reality, right? In the real world, where it's like uh, they explain that Lorraine Warren, the wife, is very, very affected by all this stuff that Ed doesn't necessarily like her doing the demonology stuff anymore because it, it takes something away from her every time that she does it. She has these uh, amazing powers of ESP. Um, the house is super haunted, though. The house is, like, ridiculous haunted. Chairs are being flung around, and it, it sets up what every movie in this series is basically about, which is there's a demon in the house for some reason, different reasons throughout all the films, but in this one, there's a, a demon in the house. This demon owned the house. She hung herself, but before she hung herself from the tree, she said, anybody that gets on my property, I'm basically going to haunt the shit out of them. And... This family bought the house. They didn't know. The realtor didn't tell them, hey, just so you know, a lady hung herself in the sea, in, in, from this tree and pledged her soul to Satan and said she was going to haunt everybody who's in this house. So they didn't know that. You know, when the guy from Office Space moved in, he had no clue. But that's what's happened. The family moves into the house, and they get haunted like crazy to the point that eventually the mother does get... Uh, possessed by the demon. The demon is able to get into the mother and she gets possessed. Uh, when you rewatched it, were you as surprised as I was uh, as to how much attention was being paid to the family as opposed to the Warrens? I remember it being like that. Yeah. And I actually really liked it mm -hmm. because it was... It, it, um, if you remember The Exorcist, you didn't really have much of Max von Sydow until the end of the film. Right. So it was very, very akin to that. Like... And, and I think that really sets the tone of you care about the family, so you want them to, you know, have this problem solved so they can live their life on this property that is probably worth $3 million, but we got it for 50000 What are the odds? It's possessed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, it, like, I, I, I did like that because then when the Warrens came in, uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't too much with them which uh, in lighter films, you'll find that there is too much in my opinion, but it's yeah. like, I, I did, I, I enjoyed, here's a story. Here come the Ghostbusters and you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. no, you know, no, no Ecto one or anything <laughs> like that. But like, it, it's just, I, I cared about the family and I cared about the mother. And when the mother was possessed, I was very upset and I, I wanted the problem solved basically. So, right. Um, 
Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect story. Yeah. That's the way you're supposed right. to do it. Although I, I do think, though, that they did have in mind, like, OK, let's see if we can get this working to the point that we can have multiple movies because three elements. Number one, the cold open of the movie is Annabelle. Right. So the cold open of the yeah. movie is them talking about Annabelle. Now, that's not the case that they're talking about in the movie. So and there's actually interesting stuff going on. The cold open is Annabelle. Then once they open and you meet the Warrens for the first time, they're giving a college lecture and they're showing one of the uh, exorcisms that they were involved in, which, by the way, Drake Maverick, you may not know, but that exorcism does come back later in the cinematic universe. We'll get mm -hmm. there. Yes. Okay. And then it ends, the movie ends with not only the shot of the room that the Warrens have, they have a room in their house. And this is real life. The real life Warrens did have this room in their house where they have haunted items from every sort of demonology exorcism thing that they did. They would always take home the item that was haunted and they would put it in their shelf in this room that was blessed by a priest. Happened in real life, happened in the film. Um, I feel like when they show you that room and they put an item on the shelf, what they're basically telling you is, is count the items that are in this room. That's how many movies that we have potentially. That's Yeah, we, we, we have these in the can. Yes. It, I, lo I love that room. Yes. I love it. it and it's exactly what you just described because there's there's so much going on. And... You're always looking in the background, like is something going to move? Right. Annabelle going to do anything? Right. It's 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 really good. It's, right. It's like any anything could be a story, and you're just looking for things that what it could be. It, 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 I think that's a wonderful touch, a really wonderful touch. Yeah, I think it's great. And uh, and then after they show the room, they also do. There's so many. This whole universe is filled with cute little lines that if you know, you know, you know, like a little tip of the hat to, oh, we know what that means when uh, they go like, oh, I heard about this house in Amityville that we better go check out. And you're like, oh, it's the Amityville horror. Yeah, I know what they're talking yeah. about, right? So you're going, you're sitting there as a movie viewer going like, okay, are we going to Annabelle? Are we going to the Amityville horror, but from a different perspective? Where, where are we going next, right? And... Where this cinematic universe goes next is a year later, Annabelle comes out. Now, Annabelle is a prequel to The Conjuring. Annabelle, most of the movie takes place in 1967. So it's basically, it starts with the same scene that The Conjuring 1 starts with, where we're meeting Annabelle and, and it's this haunted doll and these nurses are there and they're going like, I don't know what to do about this doll. And... Then the credits hit and it and it and it rolls back to kind of what we think is the creation of Annabelle. Now it turns out, Drake, that this the creation of Annabelle that we see is not actually the creation of Annabelle because this is not Annabelle creation. This is just Annabelle. Annabelle creation. Annabelle. Yeah, that happens later, right? So in Annabelle, here's what happens. The movie opens, this young, good-looking couple, they're sitting there, the lady is pregnant. And they're watching on the news. The Manson murders are happening there in Los Angeles where they live. And they can't believe it. Um, apparently, there were like, in this cinematic universe, the Manson murders existed. But then there were also a whole bunch of other cults that were also doing murders that were very, very similar to Manson. I kind of watch it going like, I don't know 
if I was going to do like a cult, like a, 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 you know, a young hippie cult murder thing, I don't know that I would acknowledge that Manson existed because then it's like, so you have multiple cults all doing the same crimes at the same time. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily know that I, I get that. But what happens is they go and they kill the neighbors of this family that we've met. The next door neighbors of the family that we met, they get murdered by the woman and the man from this cult. The the young couple, they wake up, they hear the screams, they can't believe it. They turn their lights on and these hippies, these murderous hippies come to the young couple's house and the pregnant lady gets stabbed in her stomach with the knife. You go, oh, please, God, no, no, Ooh. you can't. This is, it's very difficult to watch too. It's, 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 I, I always kind of cringe at stuff like that. Cause it's like, ah, ah, I don't even know from an entertainment perspective if I can, but let's still, let's see where this goes. And, uh, uh, and then the husband comes in, he starts, you know, beating up the, the, the guy that's the hippie guy that's in there with them. And eventually the cops get there they shoot the male attacker and they find the female attacker. The female attacker has gone in to the nursery that has been created for this, uh, for the expected child. In the nursery, there is a doll. The expectant mother is a doll collector. The husband was able to find her an antique doll that would be great for her collection. For some reason, this hippie girl went into the room, grabbed this old antique doll, and held it as she slit her own throat. And as she's holding it, you look down, and guess what doll it is, Drake? Can you guess? Um, does it begin with A? Y yep. <laughs> Yeah. All right, uh, Chuck. It's Chucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Gonna, it's, it's <laughs> yes, it is. It is our. It is the titular doll, Annabelle, and the blood seeping out of this woman's neck drips into the little doll eye socket of Annabelle. Of course it does. <laughs> Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? I mean, it? where else is it gonna go, right? Qu question. Question. Go I don't it. know where it's gonna go. Okay. Um. Is this uh, gypsy woman who has bled onto this doll, mm -hmm. does she have a gypsy curse? Well, we get to know a little bit about her in a movie later on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. So we don't, many questions. <laughs> we, we don't really find that out in this movie. We get to learn about that a little later when we actually do a prequel to the prequel. But that's not this. This is just a prequel. creation. Is it? That's where wow. it gets, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, that's that, that's where we're going to take care of all that. So, uh, you know, uh, as it turns out, there the lady is fine. She gives birth to her child. The child is born healthy. It's all good. After being stabbed. After being stabbed in the side. Yeah, tough as nails, this baby. Tough as nails. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It was a scare for sure. Okay. But the baby was all good, Okay. So uh, uh, they throw out Annabelle, but for some reason it doesn't work. Um, the woman, she puts some uh, uh, pop, some Jiffy Pop popcorn on the stove. Guess what? Accidentally burns the house to the ground. You can only assume that Annabelle had something to do with it, though. The idea is that the spirit is now in the house and has figured out a way to light the house on fire. Their whole house burns down. They have to move to an apartment building. And basically... 
what we watch throughout this film is there is a demon inside this Annabelle doll. And that demon, much like the, you know, you talked about Chucky. What was Chucky's main goal on this planet? Uh, to become human. Exactly. To get, we wanted to again, get his... Again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so what? this is what we want to do. If you're a demon... I mean, you don't want to be—you you don't want to be a doll, right? Like, right. you want to be a person. So the whole movie is basically the doll trying to get the soul um, inside of uh, of the baby, right? Oh. The doll is trying to possess the baby, and the mom has to protect the baby. And the mom thinks she's going crazy, but she's not going crazy because there really is a demon doll that lives in her house. You know, it's—I mean, you can see where people would think that she was nuts. But there really is a demon doll in her house. And she can't get rid of it. Like, they throw it in the trash, won't go away. Won't go like away. The, the, the original, okay. Yeah, won't, go, won't away. go away. Won't go away. Okay. So, now, there is, uh, throughout the film, there is this uh, 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 librarian that they meet that is very helpful with uh, explaining plot points throughout the movie. Like, she she somehow knows everything, and she is a, she's, a, she's super good at explaining what's going on. Just a great voice of reason. And basically what we get to at the end is uh, uh, the mom is ready to, she gets the Annabelle doll and she's ready to jump out the window and kill herself, but take the doll with her so that the doll leaves her baby alone. And the husband's like, I can't let you do that. It doesn't happen. The librarian grabs the doll who had all the great plot points to explain to us. The librarian grabs the doll. She chucks herself out a window. She's dead. We think everything's good. The doll, I guess it goes from evidence to an antique store. And we see in in like the, the, the post-credit scene, we see the doll ends up in an antique store. It's bought by an old lady who I think gives it to a family member. The nurses that we saw in the beginning of The Conjuring. Right. See? See? It all makes sense. Yes, yes. Okay, question about the librarian lady. Is it because the director of the film thinks we're uh, stupid audience members and we need her, or is it because uh, she's one of those ones, hmm, a kangaroo? It's definitely the doll. (laughs) You know what I mean? Is is it one of those librarians, unless there's different types of librarians? No. um, I, I I think it's a great is question. Tony Todd from Final Destination. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. I'll explain what the this is what the fuck's going on. Yes, I shouldn't know this, but I do. It's the benefits ex- of the plot of this film. It's yeah. exactly who just, it is. That's it. That's Tony a, Todd. That's okay, a great. I go. wish they would make another Final Destination movie so we could break down all the Final Destinations. We'll get there at some point. But wow, yes, because I he love died. those two. Love them. Me too. <laughs> love them. But yeah, that's exactly what she's there for. It's uh, sometimes. You know, you got all these complicated ideas for a plot of a movie, and it becomes real difficult to figure out how to get the characters to explain all those great plot ideas. So instead, you just invent a character to just flat out say them. And, you know, and then we're done. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We can get back to, like, uh, dolls running around and stuff like that. There are a couple good scares. There's, like, one where it's, like, instead of being, like, a real creepy ghost, like, a ghost comes running full speed at her. And I'm, I was thinking, I'm sitting there going like, you know, it's one thing if you're being stalked by like, you know, Michael Myers, by like this slow moving thing. And it's scary because they won't leave. But you can keep avoiding them forever. 
when like ghosts can run full speed at you like way faster than you can run that's pretty terrifying yeah you got no chance no chance there's no chance at all no no (laughs) (laughs) so that's a little explanation to annabelle next we jump into the future we go back to the 70s like i said conjuring one took place in 1971 we get to 2016's Conjuring 2. This is yes. something that you're you're familiar with. And, yeah. you know, interesting, and I love that it does this. The Conjuring 2 starts with the DeFeos, which is the Amityville... Amityville Horror. Horror House. So, so that little tip of the hat to the Amityville Horror House at the end of Conjuring 1 does kind of pay off at the beginning of Conjuring 2. Yeah. You know, uh, it kind kind of makes me wish that they make a Amityville horror film with the DeFeos that's more realistic than the, uh, you know, the original or the Ryan Reynolds, but wh- whichever one you prefer. Right. But, um, I'd like I'd like I'd like the DeFeos involved with the Amityville horror in some way, maybe in between uh, Amityville three D and the, the other <laughs> one. But, yeah, you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would have to you would have to do like. It has to be like Conjuring Four. You just can't put Amityville in the title at all, just because there have been so many Amityville. The, Conjur- the Conjuring Four would go into the Amityville house or uh, <laughs> the the DeFeo incident. I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. You know what it is without it being an Amityville film. Yeah. No, I would love. I would too. I would love the injection of the Amityville horror story into the Conjuring universe because right now we just see it on the peripheral. Right, we see it as a thing that happened, but we didn't really get into it. Although it is the first time that we see the nun at the beginning of yeah. Conjuring Two, which we'll get a lot more information on that nun as well. By the way, there's I know you're sitting there going, "What's the deal with this nun?" Don't worry, I got all the answers about the nun too. You don't have to worry about that at all. Yeah, they might even make a movie about it. Yeah, you, never know. <laughs> you don't know. You never know. <laughs> Maybe a couple of them. Who knows? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a terrifying nun. I've seen some scary ass nuns. Like yeah. Sister Act Two back in the habit had some scary ass <laughs> nuns. That was some that was some nuns. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that was that was the most scariest nun I've seen. For sure. And then even even the painting, yeah. when they have the painting of the scary nun later in the film that's in the Warren's Fair. house. Yeah. Yeah, it creeps me out. It, it doesn't do anything, but it's just absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, now horrible. Horrible. Conjuring too. I mean, this must be right up your alley because it's the they should call it the Conjuring Two, Conjuring in London. You know, it's like Home Alone. It's like Lost in New York. Now we're going to London. Okay, so I got kind of confused with this because at one point the film said it was Nottingham, and this is based as a story, the Enfield poltergeist story. Yeah, and everything. So, so after I watched this film, I went on a deep dive and w- looked at British documentaries on this and everything. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was very strange because it was, uh, and, and I mentioned it to you after I watched it. This reminds me of every in the United Kingdom that has an old pensioner living in a house because their wife or their husband have passed and they're just living on their own. Mm. And there's, a, and the old man just dies alone in his chair. Yeah, but like, but th- this old fella in this one was a, uh, and and there was there's a lot of cranky old men in England. Trust me, because uh, <laughs> you know we're, we're not happy about the weather at the best of times. But like, when you know what? If I'm gonna go, I'm, I don't mind. I, I don't mind being a cranky old man in the chair. Yeah, I really don't. 
Yeah, I mean, I yeah. want a few folk. Don't come in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yo, what, so what did, <laughs> what did you think of that? Because that's not a conventional scare in horror movies like this. Like when, when we see the ghosts, it's usually, I think that The Conjuring, what they do better than most other ghost movies is the way they use sound. The thumps and the yes. slams and the, like that stuff freaks me out. Like the clapping. Yeah. Oh, the clapping. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, but, what, that's one thing we didn't point out. The scare of that first one was when that hand just comes out of nowhere and oh. claps, and you're like, ah! Oh. <laughs> no. and that's, that's one of those scares, too, that you see in the trailer, and then even though you already saw it in the trailer, you see it in the movie, and it's still terrifying. Like, I remember about the first one, because the trailer spoiled so much. Yeah. So much. It didn't do it with this one. It didn't. Yeah. Which was good. Yeah. But um, I had never heard about this... The uh, United Kingdom tale, by the way, because I'm not a very, uh, I've never delved deep into the paranormal or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, like, I never knew that this story existed until watching this film. So that's when I went on the deep dive of it. Interesting. Uh, but Interesting. the noises in, in in the walls, and yeah. The, like, and then look, something like that. Invite a friend over. Look, there's something going on in our house. But what are you talking about? And then a chair just moves across the room. <laughs> <laughs> is the police the old bill basically went yeah we can't really deal with that sorry uh better get someone else what, 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 what? like like we got no paperwork for the supernatural what do we do? Yeah. just nothing to do i don't know how to classify it i don't know what you want me to tell you we don't it's not on the list of things that we cover they just couldn't um like i don't know if it was a case of like they'd look stupid or it was they didn't and that and there was big um you know problems with this in regards to the children because everyone thought it was a prank right just non-stop pranks and they do that in the movie right like this part of the, yeah. a big part of this movie is that the warrens go over to london uh because the media is 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 making this into a thing where they don't believe this family this family is getting haunted this time instead of the house being haunted by a woman who hung herself and pledged her soul to satan or whatever this time it's an old man and the old man for some reason I feel maybe it's because of witches or something like that. I feel like a, a an, an old female ghost is a little bit more conventional, and I do think it's a risk. Like they literally have scenes where you just hear an old grumpy man saying, "Get out of my house!" And like, yes, that's a real tight rope to walk. If if that's not done perfectly, that can get cheesy fast, real quick. Yeah, but I I didn't bother. I wasn't bothered by it though. I thought they did a good job with it. Um, but the Warrens are there basically because uh, this old uh, old man demon is haunting this family. These little girls are trying to sleep. The old man demon is picking them up, throwing them up in the air, chucking them from bed to bed. They don't know what the hell's going on. You know, they got a room full of crosses. He's flipping them all upside down. It's remarkable how angry this old man ghost is that these people are in the house. Yeah, he's a he's a real grumpy old. This was the the weirdest part for me that there was a there was tape recordings in the house from the press, I believe it was, or the police. Yeah, and they found one of the tape recorders that was. You got to remember that the children in the in the movie are still children. So as much as all this stuff's going on, they're still quite innocent and naive kids. Right, so they're still trying to do childish mischief 
while actually being uh, <laughs> completely terrorized by a ghost. Yeah. So, so in one of the tape recordings, they actually found that the girls, the audio, because they left it on record, uh-huh. hearing them going, let's hide it, let's hide it. And they hide this tape recorder somewhere else where uh-huh. everyone's like, ah, oh, the ghost moved it. But that, that's when all the, they were like accusing them of like, this isn't true, this isn't true. Yeah, but it's so like they assumed, assumed it was a prank from all of it. But it's also like little kids would just hide a tape recorder even if they were being yeah. haunted, right? Yeah, because right. they just would still trying to be kids even though this terrible thing. They didn't realize the severity of it at their age, I don't believe. So. Yeah. I mean, so, who knows? So this is happening in 2016. I do think that as I watched this movie that they were fully intending on doing a nun movie because not only does the nun show up in the beginning – but the terrifying nun also shows up like multiple times in the middle of the movie right. and in the Warren's house. And, and, and this is also where you get a little more into the fact that the Warrens are not only dealing with other people's stuff, but they got to deal with their own stuff, too. They're being haunted yeah. kind of all the time. They got their own demons. Yeah, which is tough, mm-hmm. which is tough to yeah. pull off. Um. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, this was a fairly well-done, traditional, demon-haunting-a-house movie. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think that they went super deep into anything, but I also don't think they really messed anything up. I think this is, if you're going to watch a Conjuring movie, this is kind of exactly what you think of. I mean, I don't know if they needed to play London Calling when they got to the U.K., just to be like, oh well, yeah, we're in London. Their London calling is playing right now. It's like that. Yeah, just you- letting you know we're we're in England. <laughs> yeah, just letting you know there's Buckingham Palace. There's the Queen. That's all we are. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like you know if they they're like, oh, there's something happening in New York, and they like show Times Square and start playing Sinatra. I'm like, I I don't know if I need. <laughs> I don't know if I need all that. Like I got I got the location change. You know, it's not it's not sort of I mean it's not actually 1977 right if this movie came out in 1977 there might be some people going to the film like thrilled because I've never seen London before this is an incredible thing but you know but it comes out in 2016 you've at least seen Google images of London like it's not there was there was a hint of over the top Oliver Twist lingo and <laughs> hello what do you mean there's a ghost in your ass what the bloody hell like oh my god like but uh, yeah, a lot I of mean, Cockney. Bless, a lot of Cockney. Yeah, bless them, they tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I think that was good. So coming off of Conjuring 2, the next movie that came out was uh, the next year in 2017. And this movie, we're going to go back even further. This is now a prequel to all three of the movies that we've mentioned. Oh, boy. So, so just to keep everybody up to speed, Conjuring 2 was a sequel to The Conjuring, Annabelle was a prequel to The Conjuring, and now we get to Annabelle Creation, which is a prequel to Annabelle, and therefore a prequel to also The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. Now, I went into Annabelle Creation, I remember, very skeptical, because I said, I already know how Annabelle was created. The hippie chick slit her own throat and bled into the Annabelle doll. She was crazy enough to kill people, that's, I mean, she's obviously some kind of demon lady, right? Serial killers are kind of like demons. I get it. However, I actually thought that this movie 
did a pretty good job of bringing all these pieces in and tying stuff together and making it make sense that that wasn't actually the creation of Annabelle. So basically, uh, it actually, we're, we, we'll go all the way back into the 40s at the beginning of this movie where this guy, he lives out on a farm with his daughter and his wife and he makes this Annabelle doll. He, he's, he literally created, he's a, he's a toy maker and it's the 40s. So, you know, it's not like you're just sculpting a prototype out of clay and then sending it to China to have it mass produced in a factory. He's literally woodworking and making all these great dolls. And he makes Annabelle. Now, I would question his skill level if he's making Annabelle, because even when Annabelle is not haunted, she's a hideous doll. I mean... Oh, horrible. Horrible. <laughs> so, Geppetto has made this, this, this evil doll. Precisely. And, like, yeah, there we go. Precisely. We go. So, and Geppetto had some horrible dolls in Pinocchio, so you never Horrible. Know. Horrible. So, terrible. so, right. So, Geppetto makes the doll, and he makes <laughs> Annabelle, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing for everybody. Um, now, uh, what happens is it's the Geppetto and his wife and his young daughter, they uh, have some car troubles. They got to pull over on a side of the road. They got to fix the car. And they're like, okay, we're fixing this tire. This dumb kid goes, oh, let me help. And runs out into the street only to get flattened by a truck. As kids tend to do when they run out into the street. It's like, just what do you mean help me out? First of all, you're like six. What would you know about changing a tire in the 1940s? There's no way. There's no way you could have helped. And now we've got to deal with the fact that we just watched our daughter get flattened by a truck in the 1940s. I mean, it's terrible. Couldn't think of a worse scenario for these people, right? Awful. So now, Awful. now they're, in a pretty, okay. they're in a pretty vulnerable spot now, aren't they? There's a demon in their house. I forgot to mention that, too. There's a demon. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that, too. There is indeed a demon in their house. And you got to question if the demon had something to do with, you know, being like talking to the little girl and being like, you should definitely run out into the street right now. You know, it's kind of like Pet Cemetery, right? It's, it's, I mean, it's literally, yeah, I was thinking that. it's literally Pet Cemetery because Pet Cemetery is based on the fact that these parents are so overwhelmed with grief. The dad, goes and and even though they say do not bring your kid back to life in that pet cemetery don't do it the the animals go crazy i can only imagine what it would do to a kid but the parents so overwhelmed with grief he's gonna do it what happens is the demon visits these parents and goes uh i've got a great idea for you guys and the demon shows the parents their daughter is still alive she's in her room the, the parents see the daughter and they're like i'd love to have the daughter back and the demon's like, well, I obviously she got flattened by a truck. She can't come back. But what we could do, tell me if you like this idea, is I, for you, will put her soul in that Annabelle doll. Is that something you might be interested in? And they go, I love that idea. Yeah, that sounds terrific. Yes, demon, that sounds terrific. Let's set everything up for you. What they don't understand is the, the demon's a demon. It's like the scorpion story. What's the demon one? What's the demon one in exchange? Is this what I'm getting at? Yeah. Well, you know what happens? The demon tricks them. You know what they do on accident? They put the demon in the Annabelle doll. So now, huh? 
Well, because the demon wants to be in something. So the demon goes, I'll get in this Annabelle doll and then I'll get my hands on some kids or something like that. And I'll be able to get into the kids and I, I can I can live a, a fruitful life. So phase one, phase one, be inside of a doll. Phase two, uh, phase three, profit. That's yeah, it. Right. That's it. Okay. That's, that's where the demon's going right now. Yes. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. Okay. Exactly. Why did he just possess somebody immediately? Well, the kid had jumped in front of a truck, and I guess they didn't want to possess adults because. So, but it's, so, so all these demons want to possess a child so they can grow up to be a demon for many, many years. Is it because obviously in I... the other film you just <sighs> mentioned he wants to possess a baby? Yeah. So in this one, he was a six-year-old, but he's like, "Well, <laughs> I can't possess these parents or somebody they know, so I'll go into a doll. Yeah. And hopefully." possess a child yeah it's especially odd because if you go back to the first conjuring movie the demon just possessed the adult yes exactly you know the mother just got just possessed the mom which you could you i guess you could do that too but it's now again the demon's like ah, no that's 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 a waste of everybody's time so this this doll demon goes uh nuts goes berserk and uh what the parents do is they go okay we're gonna get a priest over here we're gonna try to lock this out we can't have this energy around so they go into a closet. There's a secret room in the closet, a little room, and they paste Bible uh, pages. They rip out pages from the Bible, and they paste it all over the walls. And then they lock the doll with the demon spirit in the doll in the room full of Bible pages. And that's it. That's It'll stay in there, and it's in there for like a decade. And the parents don't think about the doll locked in the closet because it's been a decade and they go you know what we should do we should open up our house to an orphanage oh great idea yes i mean yes i mean yes it's only been it's only been 10 years i'm sure he's finished reading the walls (laughs) yeah he hasn't gotten out in 10 years he's not gonna get out when the orphan shows the bible off by heart by now right good blow and they tell, they get all the orphans over to the house because, you know, they lost their daughter 10 years ago. They want some love in the house. So they're going through marital strife, I guess, you know. And so they uh, they get all these orphans over. And uh, it's like Michael Jackson's Neverland. It's just a wonderful time. Everybody's having a great time. All these all these kids are around, all these orphans. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and but they go oh, like this. it's not a demon. It's not a demon. <laughs> you, you, you're ignorant. It's not a demon. <laughs> You won't get possessed. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is this one of the bad ones? Like, it, it, um, is this like at the bottom of the, this is the bottom of the barrel conjuring movie. Is it, or is it like? I'll tell you why no. I'll tell you why they're no. Making, they're, they're making mistakes here. I'll tell you, yes. <laughs> okay. You're, here's, here's, mistakes here. You're, you're starting to see some chinks in the armor for sure. You know, this is the, the vulnerabilities are starting to show, but I still stand by this one because I love the way it wraps up at the end. And we'll get there. I promise. And and there is a lot of uh, story in this, obviously. You know, there's a lot more story beats that I'm explaining to you than even in some of the Conjuring movies. So they get the orphans over yep. and they tell the orphans, don't go into our dead daughter's bedroom. We left it the way she left it. We're super sensitive about it. Don't go into the dead daughter's bedroom. Well, when you tell kids not to go into a room, what do they want to do? They're gonna go. They're gonna go in the room. They're gonna go in the room. They're gonna go in the room. And when they hear mysterious noises coming from the Bible closet, what are they gonna do? Read the Bible with the demon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they open it up, and then uh, 
and then and then Annabelle just goes nuts. She ends up uh, poking the mother's eye out. She ends up uh, possessing a couple of the kids. I think, you know, she she gets there's a kid in a wheelchair that she possesses, but she possesses the kid in the wheelchair, and she's like, I mean, it's good that I'm possessing this kid, but you know, I was. I was hoping not to be in a wheelchair, is what the demon is thinking. So, so the doll goes full on puppet master and like well, goes after, like Chucky he, running around, everything. Or you don't see the doll as animated as Chucky. No, no, which which would have been a step in the wrong direction. No, the doll is right, still because I haven't seen this doll do anything in any of the times I've seen it. It's just always been there and it's creepy as hell. Right, but it hasn't done anything like moving or besides its head and its eyes or anything, but. Yeah, it's more it, it 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 more appears to be responsible for what's going on, right? Right, and then also you know uh, uh uh possessing the kids. So then then once it's in the kids' body, it's making the kids do stuff and everything. So it goes on and on doing what demons are gonna do, right? And uh, eventually, our final girl, the kind of hero orphan of the film, she gets out scot free. She's okay. And uh, she gets to a, another orphanage and she gets adopted. At the end of the movie, she gets adopted. And the, the lady goes, uh, here, these, uh, these lovely people are here to adopt you. These are the Higgins. What's your name? And the girl who's getting adopted has decided that now she's going to go by a different name. I think, her, what was her name before? Uh, uh, Janice. Janice. You know what name she introduces herself by now? Annabelle. Annabelle. And wait till I tell you this. This is I'm already getting excited by this. This is why I love this movie. The Higgins that adopt her. You know who the Higgins are? They're the neighbors from the first Annabelle movie that get killed by their daughter who was in a cult who went to find the Annabelle doll that the demon that's been living in her for all those years was eventually in, and when the demon knows that they're about to get killed by the cops, goes back into the Annabelle doll, and it all makes sense. I want to watch this one. I mean, is that right? This one. Once you get to okay. that, once you get there, you're like, all right, I'm in. Right, you did it. You got me. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm going to watch Annabelle and Annabelle Creation. Yes. In that order. In that order. Yes, because even though technically like it's the prequel, so you could watch Annabelle Creation first, it's more satisfying when you yeah. see the reveal and you know the answer to the question already, and you're like, oh. You're like, yeah, but now I know the answer anyway because it's spoiled. But like, I, I mean, this is, I mean, the, it's, this, yeah. this is the podcast. And it, this, is the, this is what I chose. This is my yeah. sacrifice. So. What am I going to do? Yeah. Like break down the Conjuring universe with no spoilers and be like, a thing happens, and you should see that thing because it relates to another thing. <laughs> like, oh. Good. Yeah, good. I got yeah. some good insight. That's some good insight. <laughs> so then in 2018, we get to The Nun. Now, guess what The Nun is? A prequel to Annabelle Creation. The Nun happens oh, for on. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Is this, like, is this, is, is, and, and this is the thing with The Conjuring. It does the yellow letters going backwards. So this is like, this is, it started with episode four, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Here we are. And you're like, I don't understand what's going on. And they're like, just see all the movies. Just see everything we put out. And it will kind of make sense. And you're like, all right. Yes. The Nun, most of The Nun 
takes place in 1952. I mean, some of the nun takes place in in, in the Middle Ages. So, I mean, talk about a prequel. You know, you're not going to get much back much further than that. But yes, the nun is in 1952, making it a prequel to Annabelle Creation, which ended in 1955 or so, which was a prequel to Annabelle, which is 1967, which is a prequel to The Conjuring from 1971, which has a sequel called The Conjuring 2 in 1977. Which is wild when you think about it, because this is 1952. All of this stuff that I'm telling you happens over the course of about 25 years. I mean, and that's a lot of, of yep. demon stuff to be happening over the course of 25 years. That's crazy. Um, but basically, uh, the nun, there's this weird uh, monastery. Is that what they're called? Monastery? Mon yeah, monastery. Mon monastery. Monastery? So what's monastery? Uh Monastery said wrong. Okay, that could be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like monastery, Wait, except it, you added yeah. a letter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In in England, we call it a monastery. Monastery. Um, yeah, yeah. It, but again, I'm the one butchering the American language, so I don't. No, that's. Okay. I mean, it's a monastery in Romania, so I would think that they probably go with your pronunciation more than mine. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so is it, it what, what kind of? monastery is this one what's well, haunted yeah. it's a haunted monastery okay. that's what kind of <laughs> yeah that's that's what kind of monastery it is so let me tell you how this monastery okay. came about so what happens is um this uh this this spot has existed since the middle ages and uh basically uh this guy he's obsessed with the occult and satanism and all this stuff he is able to take this uh this spot that he's built it's not a monastery yet but he's able to take it. He built it. It's the Middle Ages. And he actually makes a gateway portal to hell. And he gets there and he gets the gateway portal. And he's like, he looks down to hell. He's like, you're welcome to come up. And this demon named Valak comes up from hell. And the church finds out about this. And they're like, this is insane. You're like, you can't have a gateway to hell here. So what they do is they try to fix everything. They clear everything away. Right, they seal everything up. They actually get, and this is a, this is a good thing to get when you're trying to fight demons. They get some of Jesus Christ's legit shoot blood. Shoot Jesus Christ's blood. They have it in like a little glass thing, and they're able to get it. And I mean, it's one thing to have holy water, but when you have the blood of the literal blood of Christ, pff, you fight anything. And they do, and they're able to use that to get Valak back down to hell, and to seal up the portal. Yeah, that's how powerful this stuff is. And then now that that's sealed up, they build a monastery around it. So it's surrounded by Jesus and God and nuns. And it's right. like, right. And it's like in Romania, like it's it's way off into the forest. Like it's real hard to get to, you know, like there's a delivery guy that delivers their food like once a week or something like that. But that's pretty much it. They get no visitors, the nuns hang out there silently, not doing anything except making sure that Valak doesn't come back from this gateway to hell that they closed up with the blood of Christ. Does this make sense so far? Makes sense. Okay. Now, unfortunately for them, World War II happened. You heard about World War II, right? Terrible time. Terrible time. The Germans were dropping bombs. Germans dropped a bomb. Near the monastery, what does it do? 
shakes up the foundation. Guess what opens up on accident? Yeah. Portal to hell. <laughs> portal. They accidentally opened up a portal to hell. And it's like, this is going to be a toughie. This is going to be a toughie. Because before they know it, Valak is back out. And Valak starts just wreaking havoc over these nuns. He's, he's killing all the nuns. He's, he's possessing them and killing all the nuns. And uh, one nun decides that she can't, she can't do this. She can't put up with it anymore. Instead of being possessed, she decides to kill herself. The delivery man shows up at this monastery, sees a nun hanging by the neck dead in front of the monastery. He goes, this is very atypical for a monastery. So he gets the hell out of there. <laughs> and he's right. He gets the hell out of there. And, you know, he calls the church in the Vatican or whatever he calls. And uh, it says, like, you got to get somebody over here. There's crazy stuff happening. So the Vatican sends uh, a specialist over who, like, deals with, with demons and stuff like that. This, like, you know, I, I want to say he's a priest, but he's, like, a, you know, he deals with demons. He's, a, he's like, if, we, if somebody's going to take care of, of, of a demon from hell, it'll be this guy. We'll send you over. You'll do the thing. And with him, he brings uh, a nun in training, which is actually, she's played by the sister of uh, Vera Farmiga, who plays Lorraine Warren, although there is no connection between the characters. It's just in real life, they're sisters. Just yeah, an interesting thing. Also, they kind of look alike, which makes you think maybe there is a connection, but there is not a connection. So don't get confused by that. Um, but they realize pretty quickly that all the nuns in there are possessed, that this is a very, 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 very haunted monastery, and that uh, all the nuns are possessed, and that they are really going to have to get this Valak character uh, back down to hell. Because that's basically the nun that we see everywhere is Valak, and the reason that he's a nun is because of this monastery that he's been, you know, living in that the that the portal is is under. So you know, there's lots of there's lots of hauntings and lots of fightings. At one point, the real real creepy thing is that they show, and I don't know if this is real life or not, but they show that there's like a, a cemetery, and it's got bells at the tombstones, and like a string, and they're like, well, what are these bells for? And they said, well, back in the day when before they had like you know a heart rate monitor or whatever, when they were like, this guy is almost definitely dead. Almost definitely dead. They would bury people with a string in the coffin and the string was connected to the bell. That way, if they accidentally buried them alive, they could ring the bell right quick and and we could dig them up. And I'm thinking like, okay, if they made that up, that's brilliant. And if they didn't, that's the creepiest thing I've ever heard, that there is that much, there are that many instances of people being buried alive that we've got to figure out some kind of technology to stop all this, all this burying alive stuff. Um, but like, it, it does add an element because like, you know, you're walking through the tombstone, the, the cemetery and you're hearing the bells go. So it's like, oh, this right. is it's creepy. And then like at one point, the demon does get the nun in training in a coffin and buries her alive. Thank God for the bell, because then she rings the bell and the Vatican specialist, that's when they kind of realize like, oh, this is crazy what's going on here. This is nuts. So what they do is they do end up fighting this demon. 
they find the blood of Christ, you know, and that that's super, super helpful uh, when they're fighting this guy. And, uh, and they get him back down to hell. This entire time, by the way, remember the delivery guy I told you about that, like, found the nun hanging? Right. His name's Frenchie. He's been hanging out with them basically the whole time. Like, Frenchie's involved. You know, he's like, I, I got I to gotta play this thing through. Which it's like you feel feels like you're underqualified, but still, I mean, you you are the one that tipped us off to this. If you want to be here, you can be here. And there is this interaction that Valak and Frenchie have as Valak is being forced down into hell, and the portal is closing. And you're like, oh, what's that all about? And then as the movie ends, you see a burn on the back of Frenchie's neck. It's an upside down cross. And you're like, you gotta be kidding me. No, no. And then they flash forward to what would have been 20, 19 years later. And there's video footage of an exorcism being done to Frenchie. Guess who's doing the exorcism? The Warrens, it's the oh. exorcism that we see at the beginning of the first conjuring. How do you like that, Drake Maverick, huh? Wow. I told you we get there. We You're listening to this whole convoluted story about the nun, and you're like, I don't see how any of this is necessary. But boom, Frenchie was right under our nose the whole time. I'm going to end up watching all of this. <laughs> I'm really annoyed. <laughs> I'm going to end up watching Well. I'm liking, I'm liking that I see the payoffs, though, because it means it's a, actually a decent story and it's, like, following on. Yes. Sense, so yes. it's not like... Oh, look, it, it's, defini- it's definitely the, the this one. No, it's not. Okay, I'm following it. I'm following it. Yes. I'm- yes. So then the, the one I think that you can skip, not because it's necessarily a bad movie, but just because it, there's not that much uh, mythology to it, is the next movie that came out in 2019, The Curse of... La Llorona. La Llorona. That sounds right, right? La Llorona. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the curse of La... Go ahead. I got a question so far. Yeah. The Vatican. Yes. They have to go and ask if they have to do an... Yo, can we, like, stop this demon? And it's like, they're always like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) I'm pondering it over. Right. Vatican always got to ponder it over whether they sanction uh, the extraction of a demon or hmm. an exorcism or anything like that. That's a great question. It does feel like they have to do everything kind of under the radar. It might be like uh, yeah. like how the government is with UFOs. You know, like they kind of got to do everything under the radar because people get too freaked out if there's a lot of evidence of demons. So maybe yeah, maybe okay. they don't want to publicly acknowledge the existence of demons. Although I feel like if they had real evidence and could publicly acknowledge the existence of demons, it would really do a lot to cement the existence of God and Jesus, right? Like if there's demons, yeah. there's definitely God. So ultimately, I think it would be good for them, but... Yeah, I don't know. That's my theory. That's my thought. Don't just don't just stop. I told you you should have read this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only thing that was keeping that doll in that room was all them Bible pages on the doors. You know, yeah, it worked. It it just it just seems like every time the Warrens go and say, "Hey, uh, we need to get rid of this demon and exorcism," and then they're they're taking their the Vatican are always taking their time to think about it, 
and then they'll go back to where the demon is like it's too late we've got to do it <laughs> yeah. Just yeah that does happen a lot running, yeah. th- running theme sorry <laughs> no you're right and also a, you know what Caracavilia dragon off yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know what's wild though about all these movies is like demons do these things like uh remember in like the conjuring 2 when the priest is like holding the cross and he starts yeah. bending his fingers all the way back or when you see all these exorcisms and their arms contort in ways that aren't possible. But then, like, when the exorcism is over, their arms aren't broken. And you're like, yeah, shouldn't your arms be totally broken? Like, how did the demon make it so that you had that level of flexibility? It's wild. It's a little wild. It's very strange. Yeah. Okay, so the course of the, okay. the, the curse of La Llorona. This is the one the people debate as to whether or not it's really part of the universe because there's not that much uh, conjuring mythology with it. But I'll tell you why it definitely is. First of all, this one takes place in 1973. So this is, this is going to flip you out, Drake. Uh, okay. Technically this happens between conjuring one and conjuring two by my math. So it's, a sequel to every movie that we've discussed so far, except it's a prequel to Conjuring 2. Okay. Right? Okay. Yep. All right. All right. I'm with it. All right. So, uh, Before or after the DeFeos? The DeFeos, it is before so the, the DeFeos. Before the DeFeos. Before okay. the DeFeos. Right, because the Conjuring 2 starts at the end of the DeFeos. Right. Yes. Yes. So I believe this would be before, right before the DeFeos. But the Warrens also are not involved in this at all. So, you know, the idea that how could they be, have so much free time that they could do all these cases. They didn't do this at all. This is actually uh, uh, the only thing that draws this in. It's basically the curse of La Llorona is this uh, uh, curse. It's this, believe it or not, it's a demon. And it's a demon of uh, uh, of this uh, woman way, 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 hundreds of years ago who drowned her kids and then killed herself. And so uh, what she's working on doing now as a demon, drowning other kids, you know, killing other kids. You know, she's, uh, she's uh, haunting people and trying to kill their kids and whatnot. So they got to call somebody in. And who do they call in? The same father, the same priest that's in the Conjuring movies, specifically in the Annabelle movie, there is a priest that at one point takes possession of Annabelle, the doll. And he said, and you know, and I go, okay, well, is this supposed to be the exact same priest or is it the same actor? And this this is the, the one thing that I think, unless I'm missing something, that makes this movie a Conjuring movie. He goes like this. Oh, yeah. There was a case of a haunted doll that reminds me of this. And I go, there it is. Oh. There it is. It's Same in. guy. Yeah, it's in. It's in. It's in. It's in. So, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a another demon haunting a house movie, but it happens to just exist in the same world as all these other Conjuring movies. But beyond that, it doesn't, it doesn't add to the mythos. So it's not a bad movie at all. It's actually pretty good. Linda Cardellini's in it. She's great. But there's no other story element. So, you know, if you're trying to save time and just need to get filled in on the whole universe. I mean, if you're curious about what the what the father from uh, Annabelle, and I think he might pop up in Conjuring 2. Maybe he doesn't. I don't remember. 
But if you're curious about what that guy's up to, then yes, Curse of La Llorona is helpful. So, you know, you be the judge on that one. We got two left. Next one up yeah. came out in 2019. This one, right after Conjuring 1. Before La Llorona, after Conjuring 1. <laughs> Annabelle comes home. Oh. Annabelle comes home. Now, for me, I'm not a huge fan of this one. I feel like this wasn't... There's just not maybe as much depth in this one as there was in some of the other movies. Like, this is this is more a straight-up kind of scares horror movie, you know? Like, it's just... You're, you're just in it for the jump scares and stuff like that. But what happened... Oh, yeah, and I forgot to tell you, too. In Conjuring 2, that's where we also get to meet the Crooked Man in the music mm-hmm. box, you know, the big Crooked Man, because, yeah. you know, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but... The Nun is supposed to be getting another movie. And The Crooked Man is also getting his own movie as well. Those are both supposed to be coming out as part of it. So we're going to get to 10 for sure, uh, but not tonight. Okay. So in Annabelle Comes Home, basically, we do see the Warrens in this one. This is, I, I, this is the I think, the only spinoff that's not called The Conjuring that the Warrens are in. But they're only in the beginning and end. It's kind of a brilliant movie because they take the elements that they've established in all these Conjuring movies and they just make a kind of cheesy teen horror movie with those elements. And also, I think this is a movie about planting the seeds for as many other movies as humanly possible. The premise is the Warrens are going out for a night on the town. Their daughter, who we've met in previous Conjuring movies, she needs to be looked after. So they get a babysitter. Babysitter's friend comes over and they go like this. Hey, babysitter and babysitter's friend. There is a room in our house. It is full of extremely haunted stuff, specifically a doll named Annabelle. Do not go in that room and don't touch any of the very haunted stuff. And the babysitters go like this. You got it. No problem. Sounds great. Guess what happens when the Warrens leave? Yeah. They go in the room. They go in the room, and I mean, the amount of demons that they let out, you know, they tell a story about uh, people getting buried with quarters on their eyes. I can't even remember why. And guess what happens? Dead bodies with quarters on their eyes start walking around the house. It is... I could imagine it would have been terrifying to have been in that house at that time if that is indeed what they saw. But yeah, I mean... That's what it is. It, it, there's no that. That's why there's no like real story to it. It just ends up being you know teenagers fighting demons that are all coming from this room. The music box is in there from The Conjuring. You know whatever. It's all in there, right? Thank you very much. I think I got the melody right. It's all. It's all. It's all in there. And uh, as well as a whole bunch of other trinkets that we haven't seen yet and other stuff that they'll be able to spin off and make movies of. Um, but that's what it is. It's a festival. It's, it's basically a festival of everything that we've seen from the Warrens in these Conjuring movies. It's a fan service. What would happen if all the monsters in the haunted room came alive uh, and attacked teens? And they're like, well, here's exactly what would happen. And that's what this movie is. 
So it's just a bunch of teases of little yeah. demons, and then then like, would you like to see more? Would right, you like that one more. And then it's a bunch of people are going to go away with like, oh, I like that one. I like that one. I hope they make a movie of that. Right. Fan service. Okay, we're making we're making this one. We're making this one. We're making this. Okay. Right. right. And Annabelle and Annabelle is what is centered around it. Right. Annabelle yeah. is doing the whole thing. By the way, I don't know if you've ever seen photos of the real Annabelle doll. It's uh, it's like a Raggedy Ann doll. It's way less scary looking than the actual Annabelle doll. But yeah, that's kind of what this movie is. And uh, I mean, it's cool for what it is. But I I could. I remember seeing it in theaters and really feeling like I could take it or leave it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't over the moon for it. Um, like it wasn't needed. It wasn't needed. No, it felt like they were working on other movies, but in the meantime, let's get some cash rolling in, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's get, let's get, let's bankroll some stuff and let's prove to the studio that people are still buying into these Warrens and they are, people are. So, you know, God bless them. I hope they make Conjuring movies forever. So if this helped that, let's do it. The Warrens um, haven't aged once. No, not at all. Not what? No. Not at all. I mean, they are just gorgeous, gorgeous demonologists. Yeah. They are since tw- since 2013. Not a wrinkle. No, no. And I and no I. Wrinkle. That's the one thing I wish that what's his name, the good, uh, the Ed Warren. I wish Ed Warren was still alive because I can't imagine. Like Drake Maverick, can you imagine if somebody made a movie called The Drake Maverick Story and you turned it on and Patrick Wilson was starring as you? I mean, how happy? How happy would you be? I would I would, I would be pretty happy. Yeah. I would. You know, it wouldn't be a long film, but it would, <laughs> <that> would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, still, but handsome, you know? I mean, and hey, that's... I'll take it. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. So that brings us, of course, this is actually, I think, one of the longest gaps between Conjuring movies, but that's because they uh, sat out for COVID. Uh, That brings us to part three of The Conjuring that just came out last Friday in theaters, HBO Max. That's I watched on HBO Max. Uh, Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Now, uh, for me, I felt like... uh, Basically, the story here is this is, again, this is a, a real story that the movie is based around which is a guy murdered his landlord and he said that, look, my son was possessed by a demon. That demon possessed me. The demon was the one that killed the landlord. The devil made me do it. And this was a real court case. The guy blamed the devil um, and the judge decided to give him 20 years. I don't know. <laughs> but but he said the devil made him do it. And that's 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 what this movie is based on. But I felt like they spent almost no time on the guy and the court case and that haunting. Like, it was way more... I felt like this is the movie... You know, when you look at the Fast and the Furious franchise, which I love, by the way, and we've gone over that franchise, but Fast and the Furious 5 is where you realize, like, oh, these aren't these aren't just like street racers anymore. I think they might be morphing into superheroes and I'm okay with it, but it's a different thing now. And everything after Fast and Furious 5, that's why you get to Fast and Furious 8 and they're literally like in cars, launching off mountains to stop a Russian in an airplane from blowing up the world and like driving their car on a nuke and stuff like that. But they, yeah, 
Yeah, it was great. It was great, but they but it transitioned gradually, right? You just have to recognize when that transition happened because they did it over the course of movies. But you get to part five, and for me, part five, that's the first movie that The Rock is in. That's when they go to Brazil. That's when it's like, oh, okay. So they're like superheroes who drive cars. They're not just people selling electronics illegally and street racing. Okay, I'm down. I'm still, I'm still here for it. And I felt like this Conjuring movie really became, oh, so Lorraine Warren is like a magic lady. She's like a magical, yeah. a magical lady who lives in a ghost world and stuff like that. Because I felt like, you know, I was actually really interested because I love the idea of the courtroom drama mixed with the Haunted House movie. That sounds awesome to me. But when they're like, but what if we spent most of the movie in an underground Satanist lair? And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? Huh? Right. What? It just had nothing to do with what I expected. Like the first 30 minutes I was hooked because I'm like, God, this this court case is going to be, it's going to be the Warrens trying to give evidence about demonology and everything like that and trying to prove that it's real and examples of it being real and, and whatever, but it, it, it just went a totally, they went off and did their own thing. And then at the end it was like, Oh, by the way, you know that guy? Yeah. He got 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I don't know if you've seen the exorcism of Emily Rose. I remember that being a complete court case, uh, you know, scenario. And it was back and forth like stories and, everything but like that's what i expected it to be but it, it just went the first 30 minutes i was really in and then it just took it away from it and yeah. i'm like why are we here like, this is <laughs> yeah it was weird and you didn't see it coming i felt like either if you go back and, and and think about the movie it's like they're on the right line like they go like okay we got to prove this guy was really uh haunted you yeah. know we see the exorcism with his kid it's a crazy ass exorcism it's a real good opening and then uh and then they go like, uh, oh, let's check under the house. And I, there's no way that the real life Lorraine Warren was that fearless of rats. She's just crawling around with rats. And I'm like, I, like that would be enough for me. Like, no, you know what could have done it? There's a lot of rats under this house. And that's that that's scary enough for me. I don't that's like Willard. Like, I don't I, I don't want anything to do <laughs> with all those rats. But she crawls through those rats. And what she finds is a little uh, satanic statue. And they go, oh, this must be it. And they go like, oh, yeah. Whenever there's a satanic statue there, it means there's a curse. So the house was cursed, and that's what happens. And instead of going like, oh, let's watch them take this satanic statue and present it to the judge, they spend the whole movie hunting down the satanic statue. Like, well, who made this statue, and why did they put it there? And you're like, oh, oh, so this is just about you hunting the, like, the and this is where it was one thing when it was ghosts and demons, but people who can travel interdimensionally or whatever, I can't, I can't get on board with. We're not there in this universe. You haven't set that up, like when, because yeah. they see this like uh, ghost Satanist lady in their house, and I'm like, oh, I guess this is like a Satanist from like you know a hundred years ago that's haunting them. And then, like, later in the movie, you find out, like, no, she's alive now. 
And you're like, so she, what? So she can just show up as a living person and just like be in other people's houses. And I, I, that's where I got like, I don't, this doesn't feel like it's existing in the same universe unless the universe is, like I said, shifting and the Warrens are becoming superheroes, which if that's the case, I'll watch the Warrens as superheroes. I'm, 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 I'm okay with it. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, they find that, and then there's a, a, a scene where, like, uh, real creepy stuff starts happening in their house, and they realize that they have one of those uh, statues, you know? And uh, and I don't know why this little thing bugged me, but they find the statue was delivered uh, via flowers in a vase. And they're like, I'm sure it's in that vase because the flowers are dead, and they just got here yesterday. And they break the vase... And there's the satanic statue. But the satanic statue, while big enough to fit in the vase, was bigger than the opening of the vase. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So they would have literally. Yeah. Wouldn't have been able to get in there. Yeah. They literally would have. Maybe it's like the movie Ghost where they're sculpting the vase around. Around it. (laughs) Around it. But they would have literally had to craft the vase around this satanic statue in order to do it. Um. So it really is. They're not really following this court case at all. They're more following the satanic adventures of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, and yeah, like the stuff in the wood. Yeah, I just it just felt like we kind of really got away from Lorraine being affected by this stuff because this movie takes place in 1981. Okay, so this is the latest movie. This is a sequel to all of it, which means that in... I'm going through all my notes here. In, in 1971, 10 years before this, Ed is like, I don't know if I want my wife doing this stuff anymore. It deeply affects her. 10 years later, he's got her doing way worse stuff than she was doing in the first one. So it felt to me like we had lost that thing where Lorraine's got these like uh, psychic powers but doesn't like to use them because they hurt her and more like... Lorraine is like Professor X. She's like Magneto. Like she's got crazy psychic abilities and she can shapeshift as well. <laughs> you know, like it was yeah. just a different She's reenacting deal. murders. She's doing like, it was, it was so off, off brand. Yes. I thought so too. Although I did like the big Andre, the giant corpse that was chasing him around. Like just the giant bloated, like eight right. foot tall corpse. that was just like, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> the um when they were in the woods and it was the she comes to the edge of the cliff and then there's this ghost hand that drags her down but like there's nobody there ghost kind of yeah what are you doing yeah like, it was just it was just um it was too much I think I think and, uh, I just wish that had kept on track with the court case instead of yeah where they went yeah yeah it was a lot it was muddled it felt muddled. If uh, yes. you know, and that's not usually there are other movies in the Conjuring universe that are muddled, but these are, I, I always thought these, these Conjuring movies were supposed to be like your cornerstones. Like these are the movies that hold up the entire universe. Like, you know, uh, like you can have kind of a, a Dr. Strange movie that doesn't make a lot of sense, or you can do an Ant-Man movie that's just kind of like, meh. But your Avengers movies have got to be 10 out of 10 every time in order to hold the whole universe up, right? Right. 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 So, yeah, yeah, I kind I of I kind of uh, uh, felt the same way. But 
I did, and I did. You watch it through. Was there a post credit scene? Did you? I didn't watch the, through the credits. I just I didn't realized. see a post credit scene. Okay, yeah. I didn't look for one either, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm guilty. Well, I, I, I did it with the other two, and there wasn't one, so I'm like, oh, there's not going to be one in this one. Right. Yeah. I'm assuming I, there's like, not. When when they go into the room with all the all the the, the artifacts from different cases, I'm waiting for something every time, and nothing happens. And like maybe that's the love. Of, look, that's, maybe that's the good thing about them because I'm like, something's gonna happen in this one. Nope. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna watch the next one because something's gonna happen in that one. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You think? What are you teaming me up for the next one? Nothing. <laughs> but but I will say, I felt like I was back home with the Conjuring because they took that Satan statue, and where did they put it? Right there on the Ed and Lorraine shelf in the yep. Ed and Lorraine room full of potential movies. And they were like, don't forget, we got a whole room full of stuff that we can make movies of. And apparently that's what they're doing. I mean, I would imagine there'll be a Conjuring 4. You know, they got years and years of stuff that they could do. Um, I hope that it's less sort of... Uh, uh, <laughs> superhero-y you know I hope that it's less fantastical and a little bit more grounded in reality like this was the first Conjuring movie where I was like I felt like this was the biggest stretch of based on a true story because yes. it's like there's a little bit was based on a true story but they were not running around in real life under a farm trying to destroy a Satanist altar. Like, that never happened in real life. Ed and Lorraine, and I would I would have to have a conversation, I guess, with maybe their kids or their whoever. They're passed away, unfortunately. But they didn't do that. That didn't happen. It's never happened to anybody. Well, it may have been a change of director because this wasn't directed by James Wan. Mm. This, this was the first one he hadn't directed in the Conjuring movies. So. I wonder if he's going to watch this one and be like, ugh, nah, got to go back to work. Got to get back I'm for really Conjuring good. 4. Yeah, I got to do it. I'm sure they'll make a Conjuring 4. All they've announced so far is they're going to make a second Nun movie because I guess the statistic is that The Nun is actually the highest grossing movie in the entire universe that we've talked about. The Nun wow. made the most money. Um, so they're going to do another Nun movie, and then uh, they're doing, uh, like I said, a Crooked Man movie, which is the guy that... Uh, it's in that music box in Conjuring 2 that comes to life. So, yeah, we'll see if that uh, if that works. But I hope, I hope that we've shed some light on this. I feel like we've I feel like we've accomplished something here, Drake. I I'm I'm interested in seeing the ones I haven't seen. I will say that I I, I thank you for that. That's good. For now adding twelve hours, fifteen hours to my <laughs> week. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you only had to give me ninety minutes to sell you on it. So, you know, I thought you did. I thought you did a tremendous job uh, tying in everything that I haven't seen. Okay, so thank you. All right, thank you. All right, that's good. Appreciate uh, that. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been. Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.